Welcome to episode 237 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. It is your Thursday edition, and I am Paul Spohr. Joined, as always, on Thursdays by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going today? Uh, good. It's good to hear. Big day today at the site. We released our starting pitcher rankings for the rest of the year. Uh, so, obviously, that has people excited. Lots of comments already. We're going to talk tons about it. We do have some news to get into first, including a big trade, uh, which which was a little bit unexpected. I kind of missed it uh, at softball. And then come home, and even an hour after that, I still hadn't seen that it happened because not too many people were talking about it. Then I randomly like, oh, Mark Trumbo was traded. So, um, you know, he gets traded to Seattle. He's, he's really the – the primary piece of, of fantasy relevance, especially if you're talking uh, strictly uh, redraft leagues and, and non-dynasty, because somebody like Gabby Guerrero going the other way, you know, he he has uh, some value for dynasty leagues, but you know, Vidal Nuno is not uh, is not going crazy here. Dominic Leone. Now the way that bullpen is going, maybe there's something there. And then Wellington Castillo, the guy that we all always thought was going to end up in uh, <laughs> in Arizona. Anyway, we just didn't know how he was going to get there. He seemed like a natural fit for them, uh, particularly in just in the Miguel Montero deal. You know, no one could believe that he wasn't going back in the first place. But uh, he makes his way there. So, uh, break it down. I just said a bunch of names at once. It's Trumbo, Vidal Nuno, uh headed north to Seattle, and then Wellington Castillo, Dominic Leone, Gabby Guerrero, and somebody named Jack Reinheimer. We just need to focus on Trumbo for this podcast because that's the fantasy-relevant player here. Obviously, this is a shift to a much worse ballpark than what he was in, and I think he kind of, at best, uh, has to go back to, you know, the, the, the L.A. guy, uh, which is which is fine because, you know, that there was nothing really wrong with that. It, it is what it was, but uh, I think with the new ballpark in Arizona, a full year there, some, some folks were talking maybe 40 homers. And a better batting average, and he was already hitting 259 this year, um, and had nine homers. So now Trumbull goes to Seattle. He's played there some as a, as an angel, of course. What do you think of this move uh, up north to, for Trumbull? Uh, I mean, it's, it's not a positive move. I mean, it, but he has he has been good in a pitcher's park before in Anaheim. I don't know that Anaheim is as extreme as Seattle, but. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy that like, when you look at, you know, Nelson Cruz and, and, and uh, Justin Upton, they go to these parks. I think there's a certain level of power that at some point the, pow- the park factor becomes less important to you. And, and, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because, yeah, there are some guys where you just don't care. And like I said, at worst, I feel like he would go back, Trumbo would go back to being what he was in L.A., which wasn't a very good hitter's park, but he still hit – 29, 32, and 34 bombs there. I mean, yeah. he, he is the power source that he is, so I wouldn't necessarily freak out because of this, even though, it, it like you said, it's worse, but it's not overwhelmingly so. Anyway, um, as far as it helps Seattle, what, 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 what do you think it does for them now? They add another big power bat. They were a little bit left-handed heavy outside of Cruz, so now they have you know two power right-handers in the middle. You give a little boost to the, to the lineup around him, or – Status quo, you're not seeing much of a, a jump for Seattle here. Uh, you know, Cameron had an interesting article that if you have a low on-base percentage team, then adding another slugger can actually have more value to your team uh, than adding a, a player of equal value but more of an on-base percentage guy. I so think that it, makes sense because 
if you're just going to assume that the team has a low on base percentage, then you want them to hit as many homers as possible. Exactly, like like uh, like Houston, but also like a fantasy team. You know, if you if you're terrible in saves and you go get one middling guy, yeah, okay, you know, you're, you're probably better off getting you know that that punting that fourth, it, you know, yeah, punting right. that, getting in that, getting that fourth starter type, even though he's not a great name. It's just he's that guy's probably going to help you more than what that one closer can do, unless saves are really bunched and you had a chance to move up. To put it in a fantasy context, right. even though I totally understood what you meant uh, the way you said it, but no, that that that's a good point. So is does Trump is Trumbo going to displace Logan Morrison, who is actually you know playing all rightish this year? Um. Uh, or is it Dustin Ackley in left field? I, I'm thinking it's Dustin Ackley. Um, uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's Dustin Ackley um, because Logan Morrison is just playing better overall. Yeah, and, the, the problem is neither hit lefties or, or not. Both are lefties. Um, Ackley's not hitting anybody right now, so I think it will be Trumbo, Trumbo to left field predominantly. But then uh, maybe against some lefties, Logan Morrison could get a break because he's only got a 489 OPS against them, 792 with all six of his homers against righties. So, again, not a bad option against righties lately for Logan Morrison. Yeah, I think uh, – oh, yeah, I think against lefties what you might see is Trumbo moves over to first. Um, and uh, – but I guess they also – yeah, because uh, Seth weeks, Smith is we, lefty. Yeah, Weeks think, comes in. Uh, Either Weeks and Rugiano. the outfield, or maybe they, they let Ackley, you know, have a couple of bats there, or, or, you know. So I think maybe Ackley turns into a backup sort of fourth outfielder type, um, and there's plenty of guys who can get hurt, you know, on that team. Exactly, exactly. So and, including, including Morrison, by the way. That, right. that is, you know, that's something that's that's hampered him throughout his, his injuries. And, yeah, so they can go to Weeks and Ruggiano against lefties. Ackley. I don't think you drop an Ackley in an AL-only league where you're still sort of hope, holding on and hoping he can warm body or, run, you know, run into some stuff. So um, in any league where you already you had him, it's not good for him, but you were already stuck holding. You, you, very few people still own Ackley. <laughs> that's uh, true. So the people who and do it is only AL. Stuck. Yeah, exactly. AL like I, in my on my labor squad. I'm not going to drop Ackley because I had JB Shuck on that team. I'd rather drop JB Shuck. Yeah, but exactly, um, what 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 better would be out there than him? So yeah, I, I understand hanging on to him in that in that scenario. But he he he's really losing out. If you're if you're anything um, shallower than that, then I, I think he's I think he's pretty much droppable because. You know, I, I, I just looking at the bats, and they made this deal for a bat. I, you know, Morrison's the better bat. You know, so maybe you know Ackley will come in off off the bench when they get a lead or whatever. But um, you know, the one thing that I'm thinking about uh, just personally, I don't know how into detail I want to get, uh, considering that some of those guys listen. Uh, but uh, you know, I I since I lost Marcus Stroman in AL Labor. I have, I still have $86 left of my, of my free agency budget. I got oh, strong. Okay. And I think I'm in, I think I'm in last place. Maybe I'm second to last place. I'm, I am scuffling. And I, right now I have JB Shuck and Dustin Ackley and Alejandro Daza in my outfield. And, uh, <clears throat> it's not working out. So, um, <laughs> I, I'm in a position to spend a lot of money on Trumbo. And I, you know, you, there's no real reason for me to wait. There's no real reason for me to wait and hope that a bigger slugger comes to the AL. And there may not be a bigger slugger coming to the AL because 
honestly, from a fantasy standpoint, what kind of available bat do you know that's out there that's, you know, going to move at the deadline? And I got to wait to the deadline then. So um, I'm really considering putting like a real big number out there. And I don't know what, um, I don't know where to rein it in. I don't know where to stop because once you start getting up to 50% of your free agency budget and 60% of your free agency budget, why, like, where do you stop? <laughs> like, I mean, why, why do you, where do you, where do you hold in the reins? You know? <laughs> yeah. I, it's so tough. And, and honestly, um, you know, for me, this is something that I'm really trying to get better at, at in the fantasy game is, is figuring out how to best deploy fab, when to deploy it, you know, the, the proper bids to make. And obviously it's league dependent and that's why, you know, it's something that you got, that you got to work on over, over time. Um, but man, it's, it's really tough because for, for me, my, I've been getting more aggressive this year. I used to be pretty, pretty conservative with it. This year I've been getting more aggressive. I'd say, I'd say go pretty high and I'm not even a, a uh, big Trumbo fan. I just think that the power that he can deliver, like you said, it, it, it kind of transcends whatever park he's in. So that that's not even a big scare. Can you do zero dollar bids? I guess that's always the the, the question. Uh, not not saying I sh- that you should zero out on no, uh, on Trumbo. Cannot, you cannot in in this. So, uh, so I'll be limiting my possible moves in the future. So of the eighty six. You know, I'm thinking somewhere between 50 and 60 just to allow myself um, some money. Like, I don't I don't even have a closer on that team. So, you know, I would want to buy some relievers. I have Carson Smith and Neftali Feliz. So, you know, I have, you know, some guys I could close maybe. But um, uh, and then I this is also a team that lost Marcus Stroman. So, you know, I need to allow, you know, for some possibility that, you know, uh, maybe like a Barrios comes up and I, and I'm the high bid. So I think I would still want to keep at least $25, um, for the rest of the season, just, just to give myself, I mean, I don't think I'm winning, so it almost doesn't matter, but just to get out of the basement and give myself a shot at some saves and, and some, and some, uh, starters later, getting Trumbo will be good for my team because I didn't, I, I sort of went into the season with four outfielders. And I have Moya and Domingo Santana and Grossman on my bench. So if I get Trumbo in there, then those guys become utility slash fifth outfielders and everything looks a little bit better for my offense. But, um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's something to think about. But I do think that in general, for an AL only league, I mean, if, if you, if you're allowed zero dollar bids, I think you could go to 50, 60, 75% of your FAB because. Oh, easily. Uh, with zero dollars. Yeah, but if you if you have one dollar bids, I think you want to keep, you know, you know twenty thirty dollars lying around just because even the smaller deals. Let's say by by getting Trumbo, you're taking yourself out of the running. If um, I like name an NL bat. Like if Stanton got traded to the AL, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. But you'd be out of the running because you bought Trumbo. That's true, but some honestly, most people would at that point because that would, that would probably happen in July, and it'd just be some out of it team probably who had a whole bunch of fab. I mean, I don't know. See, that's what I'm saying. I don't like to or or a to, leader, a league leader that was able to hold on to their fab because their team was good, and then they the rich get richer. So that's true, but honest, I I, I wouldn't be 
that worried, not, not, not necessarily about the Stanton move that you're talking about, but really any move. If this one can help me right now, first off, it comes on July, June 4th, which is huge compared right. to, to trade guys. Um, See, that's, that's worth it because I, I think I was going to hold some money for Cole Hamels, but if Cole Hamels is, is traded on July 31st, you know, that's two months of Trumbo that I got, you know, where, where I only get, you know, on top of, on top exactly. of exactly and, two more months so you know and then uh, so I, i'm inclined that if i'm if i'm just missing power and i think i've got a good club i, I would start with 50 percent of my budget and then kind of work from there based on my league um you know to try to get him in an al only i, I think that that's that's where you have to be i, I would be aggressive here again He's. I don't. I don't think that Mark Trumbo's a perfect player. We know he's got the batting average flaw, and I think he'll be back down in the the two thirties there. But uh, that's fine. Look at what he does with that pop, and he's going back to the AL West. Uh, you know, something that he knows. It shouldn't be too crazy of a thing. Uh, you know, personality wise, getting traded. Obviously, you never know how that's going to affect the guy. But I think Trumbo will be all right there, and 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 go ahead and go out and hit another twenty plus homers. Yeah. All right, we got to go ahead and, and keep moving here. And uh, oh, we have to talk about Anthony Rendon's coming back. Uh, going to bat second tonight. Very excited. Been waiting for him. Really was trumpeting him this off season. Uh, you know, as a late first round pick, and obviously that uh, looks stupid now because he's been out for over two months. Um, but what do you think he can be for the next four months, uh, Anthony Rendon? I, you know, the thing that worries me a little bit is that he hurt all over, you know, like it just made me think that this might not be the last thing that we see out of him. And in terms of his swing, you know, how much how much of his swing is going to be affected and will it be from the oblique or from the, uh, you know, the knee or whatever it is. So um, <clears throat> I don't I. I I thought he had more power than he showed last year. I definitely yeah. don't think he's going to steal six bases from here on out. I think, well, I mean, six is a pretty low bar, and that's the way the projections have. But I still think it might be like two or three tops. It might be just one of those, you know, no one's paying attention to me. I'm going to go run. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and the projections are, are pretty reasonable when it comes to his power. So I guess I'm, what I'm saying is I'm not going to take the over on his projections. I would have taken the over on these projections if the injury history was had been different this year. But given the injury history, I'm with the projections. 280 average, 11 homers the rest of the way. Um, you know, I'd say two or three steals. I, I, the, the steals piece is really the, the interesting part for me because I feel like, okay, if he's healthy – um, and, and really healthy, not not uh, not necessarily you know ninety percent good enough to play, but but comes out really healthy, and the, and they kind of say you know feel free to run uh, as you see fit, maybe uh, at a little bit of a lesser clip than last year. I feel like that's something that we'll know early, and then okay, you you can plan for for six, seven, eight steals, but uh, I, I'm going in cautious as well, and that's you know when I moved him down, obviously in the rankings uh, that we did for second and third base, it was with the idea that Rendon just wouldn't run as much so I I hear you there um you know uh, I just I I just wish I had any idea on that and, and, and until we have any idea on if Rendon's going to run I, I have a hard time really saying uh, that he's going to be elite but the power and the and the batting average I think will still be there uh so obviously I'm still pretty high on on Rendon for the next four months god I just wish I knew if he was going to run 
Um, all right, what else we got going on here before we get into all these pitchers? Uh, you know, Archie Bradley went to the disabled list with a bad ERA, but uh, they're calling it shoulder tendonitis. I mean, he was he was he's been abysmal since returning. It's been really tough for Archie Bradley upon return, and he and he wasn't great before, so it it, it shouldn't necessarily be declared because of what happened when he took the liner to the face because he was kind of skating by and, and, and just, just getting it done however he could in those first four starts. It's not like the skills were overwhelming at all. But since he's returned, he's had four starts. He hasn't seen the sixth inning in any of them. He's got a, a 1091 ERA, just nine strikeouts, 11 walks in 15 and two-thirds. It's all sideways for Bradley right now. He's going to hit the DL, get get some time off. Um, what do you, what do you think of Bradley here from what we've seen? And, and do you think the, the liner to the face is affecting him at all in, in terms of his return? I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. Because if you, if you just don't look at earned runs or, or home runs or sort of balls in play, you just look at strikeouts minus walks. Uh, he was not doing that well before he got hit. I mean, he had 11, uh, walks against 12 strikeouts mm-hmm. before the day before he got hurt. Um, and since it's gotten even worse, I mean, uh, 11 walks against, um, nine strikeouts, but that's, you know, it's pretty much close to where it was before, which is kind of a one-to-one ratio, which is, I mean, I, I can't imagine a guy that has a one-to-one ratio that I would want to own. I mean, it, maybe if he had like a 90%, uh, ground ball rate or something, but. <laughs> 90%, yes, yes. That's what, uh. That's like what Charlie Morton's done in his first two starts. He's got like an 84% ground ball rate, but but a one-to-one strikeout to walk, and it's like 9% for each right now. Yeah, I mean, you you could say that uh, uh, the 58% ground ball that Bradley's shown is good, but he has he didn't really have that in the minor leagues. And, um, you know, Jeff Sullivan had a thing where he, he showed that, you know, once he got to the big leagues, Bradley started throwing um, – you know, started throwing lower in the zone, but that wasn't necessarily his game. And if you think about what he has, which is a curveball, a lot of those guys throw high in the zone to hide the, the, the sort of hump of the curveball. And um, and so, you know, it wasn't, you know, something he did in the minor leagues. I mean, his, um, let's see, his ground ball rate for the minor leagues was 45%, which is like league average. Um, so I don't know, man. I just, uh, I think he never really found that, uh, that third pitch. Uh, we've seen, you can see in his, in his walk rates that he's not, a, he doesn't have great command. I am not really hopeful about him in the future. And I think he's going to get passed by a lot of guys and he could even get passed by Alan Webster if Alan Webster gets healthy. So I, I mean, I think they're going to, he's going to get returned back to the, the, the minor league group that they've got. They managed to acquire a lot of, interesting arms and a lot of interesting talent and um i, I think he's gonna get passed over pretty soon yeah uh archie bradley will be back in the slog of uh of just like you said a handful of kind of you know capable guys that are probably worth trying out uh, at some point especially if somebody like bradley isn't getting it done i mean they gave him a, a pretty decent shot here with eight starts uh to to show something and, and he really couldn't get it done so He'll be on the DL for now. You can drop him in any league, obviously, except the dynasty. You, you got to hang on there. Um, but you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even really worry about holding him in like a mixed keeper. Um, e- even if it, even if the keepers are like the round 
that you keep and you got him at like some 24th round or something, eh, whatever, Archie Bradley right now, he he, he could be a, a long way from kind of putting it together is, is what's going to happen here. Uh, interesting news bit that might seem like a downer, but actually it's probably a positive. Matt Shoemaker is going to relieve in New York uh, for, the, for the Angels. When, when they're in Yankee Stadium, he's just going to do some relief. And, and frankly, uh, coming off of, you know, a, a decent little run here, I think he's been good in three of his last four. With the park factors for home runs in Yankee Stadium, they're doing him a favor and fantasy teams. I mean, uh, 140 against lefties and 120 against righties for home runs in that park. And, and Matt Shoemaker's got a 2-1 homer per nine ratio. So they can't, they can't have him starting there and just crush, uh, everything that he's done positively lately. So frankly, I understand it. I mean, it, it makes sense for their sake, but also for his sake, of course. Yeah, you know, we just had these rankings come out, and I I did struggle with him a little bit. You know, by strikeouts minus walks, he's he's uh, he's definitely should be maybe higher than when I put him. I put him, um, see, I put him. Well, I put him decently high. I don't know if I was the high man. I was the high man. I was you the high man. Were, no, you were second highest. I, I got Zach with him at forty one. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. You okay. had him forty seven. Uh, and I had I had Matt Shoemaker 55, and Mike was low oh, at 57. My bad. I was looking at uh, the preseason ranks where I had him. Uh, I had him 44, so I actually didn't uh, I didn't change that much, which is kind of amazing. But um, you know, there's a lot of people that went you know below him, and um, I actually found the first 40 to be all pretty much interesting players that I wanted, and then. You know, 40 through 50 were guys that I had, still had enough respect for. And then, you know, somewhere around 55, I heard, I saw like a, a hard tier. And, 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 and it just becomes this glob. Yeah. And I really don't, you know, and so Matt Shoemaker was like eight spots away from, you know, the territory where I just throw my hands up and say, you take a pick. I don't know about these guys. They're all kind of last pitchers and in, in 12 teamers and um they almost all seem streamable you know as much as i like chase anderson you know i i don't know like he's not striking guys out so if yeah. you know if you can you know pair a chase anderson but then get mike fires on the road where the homer's not as big a deal or you know um you know you know pick up iwakuma and put him on the dl if you if you Drop Anderson and pick up Yukuma and get Kyle Hendricks. You're getting two guys in the middle of the 50s for me. You know, maybe that's worth more than a Chase Anderson. So, you know, that that's all fungible. I found Shoemaker to be a little bit above that, but that was right before the news that he's going to the bullpen. The only thing that I say that is a little bit weird about well, they, this, they is, just said for New York though. I, I this is I don't right. think this is a permanent he thing. Gives me the impression that he's the fifth starter. Yeah. And, and, but well, Santiago's been so good. And of course, their three staples are Richards, Weaver, and Wilson. Uh, the way Santiago's been pitching, I think that they're viewing him that way right now because he's been so much better than, uh, than Shoemaker. So yes, yeah, Shoemaker's definitely the fifth starter. They're saying, eh, we don't need a fifth starter here. Let's dump him in the bullpen. We can, we can spot him nicely here, whether we're crushing or getting crushed. You know, I, I don't even know if he'll get much of a high leverage situation either, uh, Shoemaker, unless somebody bombs out and is out in the third inning, then he has to come do some long relief. Yeah, I probably should have given, uh, Santiago a longer look. I mean, he's throwing, uh, twice as many cutters this year. 
uh, not throwing the split finger anymore, unless that's switched over to being the changeup. I don't know. The split was, finger was a lot slower, so. I was the only one to rank Santiago. Actually, pardon me. Uh, Mike, he was Mike's 100th guy. Mike did 100 guys, and uh, he was Mike's 100th guy. But um, I had him 81. I, I don't know. I just don't. I don't respect him generally, you know, because it, he doesn't have good command. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys. He doesn't get a lot of walks. Uh, I mean, he doesn't get a lot of balls. So and he does, he walks too many. Is, yeah. Is so problem. it's like. And he and he gives up homer, so I was like, I, I just don't see a good skill here. So I would have thought personally that Santiago was in last, and when I didn't rank him, it was mostly because I say, well, I don't think he's that good. I think he's the fifth. Uh, I, I I think he's the fifth starter there, and um, I think that if you know Haney, who's pitching better, or uh, Tropiano, you know, pushes their way into this conversation, and Santiago that goes out. Well, now I think certainly that, now that I think now I think it's Shoemaker. Uh, you know, just based on this new piece of information, which is only a small piece of information, but, you know, they're not moving Santiago to the pen and, uh, you know, just to protect his home runs for nine from, from that stadium. And he's so, got a ton of relief. So it, even though Santiago's been pitching well, they could have gotten away with it. Nobody would be up in arms, even though he's got a, a great ERA and whip, 269, 119 yeah, for Santiago. Pen. They would not, I don't think people, you know, Probably wouldn't have freaked out if they'd been like, well, we're going to uh, put him here just for a spell um, it, because, you know, he's relieved before and we don't need a starter. I, I don't know. Maybe people would have because the numbers are so good. But uh, they're going to they're gonna do it with Shoemaker. The, the point you make, though, about the, there's a couple of different globs. Um, and and you, you mentioned that one that starts and, uh, you know, kind of lingers into, from like the 50s to like the 80s or 90s, honestly. And then. Or, or maybe even another one starts, they kind of roll over each other from like 80 to almost 110. I mean, I, I have Santiago at 81, but I'm not that committed to him over Erasmo Ramirez, who's 109. And it's because of the talent. I mean, it seems like a big d- disparity there, but that's just because you got to rank all the same guys. You can't rank them all 81, or you can't rank them all 109. Uh, well, it's funny, so- you know, the way that I do it. When I'm going down through these guys, um, my first pass through, I actually just like take a number that um, that like like almost like a, just a number that occurs to me, and I just throw it in there. That's funny. I do pretty much the same thing. And and then I sort them again, and then I start getting these globs. And for me, uh, one number that was very important was 81 because. 81 was like, you know, 75 is the top 75. That means you are, you know, you are a mixed league pitcher. You're, you're a mixed league starter, 75 starters. You know, I think that's a, that's, that's, that's a good number. That's like six or seven starters for no matter what, how deep your league is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt pretty good about 75 being a mixed league starter. 81 to me was like, uh, I don't know, you know, Phil Hughes, Chris Heston. Nate Carnes, you know. How, how dare you? How dare you not? Those guys, more love. those guys jumped right into eighty-one for me because uh, Phil Hughes, like, he can't get a whiff. Like, all no, he's I, got I, is I a fastball. He's got nothing else. And a one-pitch pitcher with a ninety-one mile an hour fastball in the American League. I don't know. Hughes is obviously first, but I think Chris Heston is a better example because Chris Heston. I like a lot of the skills. I like how bendy his pitches are. He's got decent command, but he's also doesn't really have a strikeout like 
He doesn't have a Danny Salazar type pitch where you're like, oh yeah, that pitch is yeah. going to get people out. He's got a good, he's got that curve, right? That's pretty good. The curve is but, pretty but good, but not overwhelming. The sinker is nice, and he can command it, so he's going to be a ground ball guy, good park, where you're like, I want to take him against lesser offenses in AT&T. I don't necessarily need to roster him. He's one of the best streamers, so maybe I'll put him on my bench, but I don't necessarily need to fall in love with him. So 80 was a number for me. 100 was another number for me because that was um, more sort of long shot upside guys or guys like Kendall Graveman that even if they do hit their upside, aren't that exciting. Sure. Uh, because he's just not going to strike out a lot of guys. Exactly. Or guys that are just have a lot of downside, like a Kyle Loesch or a Willie Peralta, that they may not get it together. CC Sabathia, these guys, those guys showed up in the 100, around 100, because I just didn't see enough upside to bet on them, or their downside was so low. So, you know, 100 was a number for me, 80 was a number for me, 70 was a number for me, and 50 was the next number. So basically what I'm saying is between 50 and 70, that's like a tier, basically. It, it really those, is. I mean, really it, putting those, like Jimmy Nelson, Jimmy Nelson against, for me, Jimmy Nelson against Rysel Iglesias versus Fultinevich, you know, um, all those guys are big stuff guys that have a lot of potential. How do I balance them against Irvin Santana, Ian Kennedy, CJ Wilson, guys who have like no upside anymore? And it's, it's really, it's really hard to do the rankings on pitchers these days because of just the way things start uh, globbing together. I mean, to where you're 40 ranks past a guy and the name comes up and you're like, God, is he might be better than the guy I ranked 40, 40 ago, you know, on a given day very easily. Like, they, cause it just fluctuates so much. Uh, it's, it's so, I don't know. It's tough, but we did it. We, we, we put them all up there and we're going to, we're going to talk a lot more about them. So let's go ahead and just di- dive right in here. And let's talk about your biggest discrepancy from the group. And the way I identified this was basically the guy that you were highest on that had, uh, you know, the biggest gaps between the guy who was lowest on him. And then we'll see how they match with the other two. So for you, it was Jose Fernandez because you got him all the way up at 22 for the rest of the year. And then the other three guys, we all had him pretty much close to uh, the same. Uh, Zach had him at 48. I had Jose Fernandez at 50, and Mike had him at 53. So, you know, all still pretty good ranks. Top 50 for a guy who hasn't thrown a pitch yet, that's pretty good. And I'm sure that Matt Harvey is is indirectly influencing this by coming off of his Tommy John so well as a stud, and people are expecting Fernandez to do the same. I am not that giddy about Fernandez, and I, I, I gave him – what I thought was actually a low ranking at 50 compared to what he is as a talent. But, uh, you know, it turned out to be pretty much in consensus with the other three. You were the high guy. What do you see? Are you expecting him to come, come firing out per- pretty great? And the only reason he's not top 10 is because he's, if we had done these on, let, let's, let's rephrase that. If you, we had done these rankings on the day he was coming back, where would you have him? Yeah. Yeah. If we, exactly right. If we did these on the day he came back, he would be, Right around Matt Harvey. Okay, so you, you would you would have him all the way up there in in your top five, top six. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I guess I had Harvey at five. Um, he would be right around where I had Matt Harvey coming into the season. Okay. Which was twelve. Okay, that makes that makes sense. So so you so that is being influenced by by the Harvey piece. Um, I, obviously, I, the, the reason I the reason it is influenced is just because. Um, you know, they were both young when they had their 
their surgeries. They both, you know, um, you know, had decent timetables that weren't rushed at all. And uh, I, I'm hoping uh, that's what I that's what I think of when I think of Jose Fernandez. Uh, it's not quite the same because Matt Harvey had 18 months. Um, but um, uh, in any case, the reports have been good, and there's been no setbacks. And uh, he's young, and he had good command. I think the command is an interesting piece because there's always a bit of a command. The only thing that you know Zimmerman's been able to find in terms of production, if the if the surgery holds, um, is that you're that you have a little bit of a command blip the first time uh, out, at the first time back, like the first year back. And uh, so a guy like Patrick Corbin and Matt Moore, um, you know, as much as I think that they're interesting stashes, just because you know, they're probably going to do better than any pitching prospect that comes up. You know, if you had a, a hundred of those pitching prospects and you had a hundred Patrick Corbin and Matt Moores, you'd probably do better with those, I think. Um, but, uh, and plus stashing on a DL is nice. It's an extra slot. You can't really necessarily stash a Jose Barrios on a DL slot. Um, so different rules and stuff. I'm excited about Corbin and Moore. I'm more excited about Jose Fernandez because his natural command is so good that if he takes a blip, he can still be better than average. Okay. I mean, that, 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 I mean, that makes sense. I, obviously, I can't wait to see Fernandez come back, see what he can do. I'm just trying to be a little bit cautious with him. We don't usually see guys come back from Tommy John as electric as we saw Harvey. So, uh, I played a little bit safer there. With my 50 rank for Jose Fernandez. My biggest discrepancy, same thing, guy I was pretty much highest on compared to the rest. Um, had, had a discrepancy of 40 from top to bottom there. You were, yours was at 31. Uh, I had Andrew Cashner at 26. Zach had him all the way down at 66. Uh, you were second highest at 34 and, and Mike had him at 42. I just, I mean, it, I guess it's kind of an artificial th- thing to say that I'm that much higher on him because, uh, that, that one outlier ranking is what really, really drops it down there with Zach at 66. But I, I'm still pretty encouraged by Cashner, even though we've seen some things be a little bit sideways this year. I don't really care about the two and eight record. A lot of that is run support. He's been pitching well enough to at least be five and five, to be honest. Um, but, you know, t- too many hits so far this year, and then obviously homers have come in uh, and been a bit of an issue at times. You know, even even if you lop off the uh, the, the, the Adrian Gonzalez great night uh, hitting three off of Kashner, you know, he's still running around a, a one per nine mark, and it, that wasn't usually something that was part of his game at all. Uh, and yet here the strikeouts are, and that's usually a trade-off. You know, everyone wonders, like, where's the strikeouts? He's got the dominant stuff for it, and he's showing them. He's uh, uh, got a 9.6 strikeout per nine ratio this year. And so, the, you know, the strikeout to walk ratio uh, is fantastic, up near five. Things are going well. I'm still pretty high on him. I think that as he's still kind of figuring it out how to make everything work as one, maybe find the way to, to have the strikeouts, but also, uh, you know, not, not give up the homers uh, as frequently or maybe get the ground balls back a little bit, you know, things like that, try to make it all mesh into the, into the super pitcher that he can be. I, I'm still really high on, on, on Kashner. I know the whip is high, but doesn't really bother me that much because I think he's a better pitcher than what we've seen. What do you think of Kashner? Yeah, you know, I, I wrote about him um, and how Derek Norris's catching had had kind of uh, kept him from throwing uh, two seamers, and how he said, "I'm just throwing it down the middle. I'll throw my four seamer down the middle and saying here, here hit it." 
and he's had a history of, of more homers off of the four-seamer than the two-seamer. So I think that was some of the problem with the four-seamers, not really getting the backdoor sinker. Um, he actually specifically said, I'm not getting this, the backdoor sinker as a call. And so um, that without that in my repertoire, I've had to, you know, kind of blow it by them a little bit more. Since that, lot, article, Eric Norris. since that article has been published, Austin Hedges has been catching um, Andrew Cashman more often. And, um, and since uh, that article has been published, he's also throwing more two seamers. Um, I don't know that he, I don't know that it's, it's so one to one that like, you know, he's going to stop giving up homers. He has given up two homers in the last two games. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that getting that backdoor sinker is going to be huge. Um, you could see it a little bit in New York. Uh, they actually did a little, uh, the sideline reporter did a little thing on my piece and, um, and mentioned me, so that was kind of fun. But that's uh, awesome. But uh, any case, I think that the the homer issue in this case, he doesn't have a homer issue for his career. I mean, when I talked about the limits of using strikeouts minus walks, um, I said that homers are the place you have to look. But you know, the easiest thing to do is just look at their career home runs for nine. Uh, Cashner has a point eight. That's not great, but it's not one point three three. All of his regressions have him regressing to about a point eight. So, and then you just have to think about the fact that he's got San Diego to fall back on that that home park. He's going to have some night games in frozen San Diego, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, you know I I think that uh, the the added strikeouts are a bonus. I think that when we look up at the end of this year, he's gonna he's gonna be like a top fifteen, top twenty type guy because he he suffered through the homer problem, the bad part of his of his season pretty much, and he still has a three four six ERA. So now all he has to do is give up those fewer homers. Um, you know, have not have a three four seven Babbitt, um, which is not a problem he's had in his career. Um, and then you'll see that whip get better. I think I'm obligated to ask the question then why did you have him at thirty four? Oh, like that's so much worse than twenty six. I'm I, I know you said fifteen to twenty. <laughs> no, no, I'm not I'm not even saying in comparison in based comparison to said. mine. Well, based on what you said exactly. There's always an innings risk with that. That's fair, and and you know, um, it, it, I also did it as a way to to kind of talk out the fact that even at the top, there can be some large clusters to where you know I, I'm not going to speak for you personally, but uh, I, I wouldn't be baffled by a situation if you said that Garrett Richards and Andrew Kashner aren't too far apart for you, even though you got Richards at 24 and Kashner at 34. It's just that what's really differentiating those two. You got to squeeze those guys in somewhere. It just gets really hard, and so uh, I almost think maybe maybe tiers would have been the the much better way to go here instead of just a straight ranking, just to help people understand that don't get so hung up on the number and maybe try to uh, uh, break them up. Obviously, um, I think Mike put out his July, his June tiers already for for AL, and my NL ones will come out uh, early next week. So I guess you'll be able to see tiers that way, but. I also think that it's useful for people to see where there isn't agreement. Um, and, uh, and Kashner is a prime example of this and be like, okay, well, you know, okay, you can, you can listen to the podcast or just go to his page, look through the different things, um, on his page and say, you know what? I'm with Eno on this one. I'm with, I'm with Paul on this one. I like Kashner or, uh, you know, I don't know. I think the homers and he's just going to get hurt and I'm more on this side. That can become, that's like the exact thing that's going on in anybody's brain that has Andrew Kashner. So if you decide you're the one who likes him, 
then you approach the Andrew Cashman owner. And even with these ranks the way they are, you can both look at these ranks and take different information away from it, you know? That's absolutely true. And I so bet this, you um, – The Cashman owner could go to it and be like, ah, 40th ranked starting pitcher. Uh, no problem. Yeah, you can have him. You know, the the guy acquiring Cashman says, I think he's, you know, top 30, maybe maybe top 25. So, exactly. And then both guys are happy with uh, with coming to an accord. And I bet you a lot of Zach's 66 ranking is the piece that you mentioned about the the innings risk because we've never seen a full season uh, really from him. Casher a buck 75 of his is his height and 123 last year. So in fact, I'd be willing to bet a lot that that's where Zach's ranking comes from. It's not so much a talent situation, but rather is he going to be upright for me? Let's move on to some of our biggest discrepancies uh, just just between. Uh, the, the two of us and we're going to start with with good old rubby and uh i guess i jumped off the rubby boat because you got him at 41 and i got him all the way down at 87 except i don't feel like i, I hate rubby like i'm not i'm not completely off of him i guess uh maybe by comparison i i, I kind of am let's see i am low guy I, I, excuse me i have him at 88 not 89 you got him at 41 zach at 50 and then Mike closer down to me at 79, so he he comes in as the 60th guy. I'm just worried that uh, you know maybe we're dealing with a little bit of an incomplete product, and and maybe it'll it'll you know the K's won't be worth it by years. And I still love the skills that we're seeing, but uh, some of these some some of this ERA is his own doing. I don't think there's just an element of bad luck to where we should automatically give him a pass on it. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I, I bumped him down a little bit, but you're still pretty high on, on Rubby. What, what do you what do you like? Yeah, maybe I whiffed on that one. It's a little bit high. It feels a little bit high now, you, listening to you talk. I'd rather probably have him in the sort of uh, Chase Anderson, Anthony Discofani, Mike Fultonewich area. Um, okay, and you have... One of the ways that I ranked was I had everybody sorted by strikeouts minus walks. And then I sort of, uh, I didn't necessarily rank them by that, but sure. You know, I, I used that. Uh, and basically what happened with, uh, Ruby and, and Francisco Liriano was they're on the first page of strikeouts minus walks. Um, they're, they're in the top 30 and I got to 40 by ranking other people. And, um, those guys were still on the board, you know? Yeah, and I was so kind of like you were there, and you're like, I still got these two front pagers. I got to give them some respect. And and by the way, you're actually a low look, guy on Liriano. Yeah, so it was Liriano was pushed down by injury risk um, for the most part, and I mean he's he's like the injury risk guy. So that's of course I'm only low by like you know four or five. So no, no, that, it, that, it's basically the the, the same thirty five, thirty five, thirty six, forty. I mean that that is a tight band when you're talking about four of us ranking. What was going on with Robbie was that he was there too, and and if you look at the guys who come out after him, they're not good strikeouts minus walk guys. I mean, especially Alex Wood. Mm-hmm. So what was happening was I was bringing up guys that were not good strikeout minus walks guys that I still kind of liked a little bit, and I was bringing those guys up, and I was and I was pushing you know the 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 strikeouts minus walk guys that that I had questions about down, and it was right around there that I was like, screw it, you know. I might rather have Rubby than Wood because Wood's strikeouts and and walks aren't looking good right now, and I can't figure out why. And you know, at least Rubby's getting the strikeouts, and that's good. And we do we know that he's going to have a homer problem. But now looking at it, you know, I probably would take Wood. Lackey is boring. I probably take him. 
Eduardo Rodriguez is the bee's knees. Dude. Uh, I'd rather have him than Robbie. Shelby Miller, even with regression, I'd probably have him with Robbie. So I, I'm now I'm at Matt Shoemaker, who I had 47. Yeah, uh, so you've so. already you've already bringing him down, uh, bringing uh, Robbie down a handful of ranks. So I wasn't so, right. trying to like make you. No, no. It's, it's worth doing. I mean, it, it, it's it's an inexact science. We're, we're like, and, and what we're saying is, a lot of these guys in you know five, ten uh, ranked chunks are, are are interchangeable. But yeah, so I've got so right now. I've, now I push Rubby down to where I really feel like he belongs, which is Shoemaker fires Rubby. Um, so I think he belongs right in there. I mean, I think uh, for different reasons, he has the best stuff of those three, and so maybe I'll put him ahead of those guys, but Shoemaker and Fires are our homer risks, and so is Rubby. So you've got three guys who are good by strikeouts minus walks, but are homer risks, and I'm going to put Rubby ahead of Shoemaker and Fires because I think he has the best stuff. That's uh, In terms of that trio, complete, I completely get that um, rationale. I, I, I get that rationale. By the way, you mentioned Eduardo Rodriguez, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more uh, oh, I didn't put it on the list. I meant to do a little section on, on some of the young guys. Well, we'll jump into him here because you mentioned that you got him at 45. You're the high guy. I thought I was psyched on him at 53, and obviously that's not too far apart, so we're both pretty psyched by comparison. Zach at 78, Mike at 63. But, uh, yeah, I know it's early, but I'm I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on Eduardo Rodriguez. I'm pretty excited about what we're seeing from the left-hander so far. Have you, have you had a chance to sit down and watch either of his two starts? Oh, yeah, I watched both of them. And it – there was a couple of things that impressed me was uh, not only the easy velocity. I don't think it, it it's not a crazy looking uh, delivery at all. I think he's got easy velocity from the left side, so you get extra credit for it. Um, you know, once you give him the extra credit for the lefties, because lefties average about a mile per hour less than righties in the starting population. Uh, once you give him credit for that, he has top top five velocity in the game, um, and uh, so that's that's a. B, uh, no command issues that I saw. Uh, C, uh, great change up, uh, which is important for a lefty. Uh, D, good slider. I wouldn't call it great, but E, good command on the slider because he was able to back foot it to righties, which is another weapon. It's a, and it looks totally different than change up. The change up's gonna dive away from him, and then he's gonna throw the slider that hits the back foot of the, of the, uh, well, hopefully it doesn't hit it, but you know. Yeah. Uh, jives towards the back foot, and that's that's what Andrew Miller does. I mean, if you're wondering how Andrew Miller is so uh, so awesome and faces all these righties, Andrew Miller is back footing this slider that looks like it might be out of the zone um, on the you know on the outside corner for a righty that comes diving in across the zone uh, at their back foot. So and. For those that don't remember, they were traded for each other. That's why that's an even m- yeah. more fun, more fun kind of uh, you but know comparison to draw with regards to the sliders. Start and this, you know, didn't cost any money, and this is you know wasn't a free agent. So yeah, I love Eduardo. I didn't want. I didn't. Sorry, sorry, O's fans. I didn't. Sorry about that. Um, no, hey, you got to make those moves. <laughs> they can be painful after the fact sometimes. Yeah. It's just going to happen. But yeah. you know, like I said, they don't get where they got. They didn't get to the top like they wanted to, but they don't get where they got without uh, without Andrew Miller. So, well, I got so it's I kind of a discussion because I so of the young guys, where we're not sure. There's Rubby, right? I have a little bit ahead because we have more results, um, and there's a, there's a National League thing. But if in my revised ranking, Rubby would actually uh, fall right next to Eduardo Rodriguez. So yeah. I find those guys some of the most interesting young guys without track records. Uh, Thor is 
is would be like you know three or four ahead of them. So that's that's like the you know, Syndergaard. Uh, you know, I'd go Syndergaard, Rubby, Eduardo. I'd have a hard time with maybe Eduardo, Rubby. I don't know. Those three guys uh, are the young guys that that I I feel like they're up for good. They have the stuff to strike out people. It's very good stuff. They're gonna just. I think they're gonna tear through the league. I'm not sure as sure about Robbie, but I'm gonna put them in that group. And then after that, um, the young guys without tracker, we have Mike Fultinewicz, uh, mm-hmm. Iglesias, I would put in that group. Um, and then, uh, Lance McCullers, uh, and. Uh, yeah, McCullers, uh, Rodriguez, he, and Syndergaard were three I was definitely gonna bring up. And, well, I, I bring up, uh, McCullers, Fultinewicz, and Iglesias because they're up. Cause yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. There's another tier. Of guys, sort of like the Barrios, Jose Barrios, Luis Severino, yep. Aaron Nola, um, maybe Andrew Haney. That, those are the guys who aren't up yet. Steven Matz. Steven Matz. They deserve some thought because they may be up, but you and can't. That's why I tried to get them on, but I couldn't really get them too high because of that. You have no idea when they're coming up. You have no idea how many innings they're going to get. You yeah. have no idea. So I would really just put those in their own little group and, and put them separately. And then, when it comes to sort of Fultinewicz, McCullers, um, and um, and uh, who was the last? Who's oh, the last? Uh, oh God, why can't we remember? Iglesias. Oh yeah, so McCullers I, was the one I kept remembering. Iglesias, uh, McCullers, and Fultinewicz. Those guys uh, have a really short track record, but, but record, but they have gotten major league players out. They have shown swinging strike stuff. They all have their asterisks. So, so Fultinewicz has the command and change up asterisk. Rysel Iglesias um, has a, a problem holding his velocity deep into the, into the games. He may have uh, a role asterisk in terms of, like, is he a starter or not? Um, I was the high man on Iglesias uh, by about 40 points. Um, so uh, Here, Here's I, my, my contention, my worry with him is the way they're going back and forth unable to decide if he's going to keep starting. I just didn't know what to make of it there, what kind of innings count Iglesias was going to get. I, I like the talent. Uh, I've got yeah. him in a couple leagues. I know that you know the numbers don't jump out in terms of the results, but there's a lot of stuff to like. You know, Honestly, I, I like him as fantasy relevant almost regardless of role. I just wish I knew what his role was because even as a reliever, I know he wouldn't be closing because of Chapman, but outside of you know, any leagues that uh, the way Davis is – uh, of the world can be owned, then I think somebody like Iglesias, even as a reliever, would be would be pretty uh, great too. So you know, I, 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 I had has, a tough time ranking him. Starter stuff. I think he has actually a more complete arsenal than Fultinavich because I completely agree. But Cincinnati, what do they do? Like every other day, it seems like there's another note out that says Lorenzo's in the rotation uh, and Iglesias isn't. Okay, now they both are. Now it's just Iglesias. Now they brought Matt Latos back. Now Tom Browning's pitching. Now there's going to be Iglesias. <laughs> Jose Rijo's making a spot well, start. Now it's Iglesias. Like, I can't, I can't keep up with it. One of the, I think the most interesting guy of the three might be because Iglesias is probably NL only – um, you know, sometimes I wanted to like bring up a guy, uh, with a, a little bit higher. Um, I do I sometimes do a little bit upside ranking where I'm like, this is where I, you know, you know what I, I, I wanted to do, uh, I wanted, I wish we could have done it with like green and red arrows. I mean, that'd be very hard, yeah. especially for everyone to have it. But I had the same thing in mind where I want, I wish I could note some guys who have got the little green air and it, it just changes the perception so much if you had those little arrows. 
Yeah, and, and Iglesias to me was like, let me bring up the consensus rank to, to, to really highlight a guy who I think has really good stuff. And the minute Cueto's gone and Iglesias is in the rotation for good, I think we're going to see different kinds of results. Um, and, uh, so I think he's a very interesting guy. McCullers, uh, is in the rotation for good. I was, real, uh, I, I was high on him. I, yeah, I, you were the, the high man on him. And, and, and the fastball is good. Uh, and the curveball is good, and the changeup has really great movement. But I think there's still an asterisk, which is the changeup has a really bad ball rate, really bad zone rate. He can't command the changeup. And now I don't know how important that is because the command on his fastball and curveball were a little bit better than I expected. He's, that command is like the thing that, that people will mention with McCullers. But the fastball and curve, I thought he was pretty good. But if he can't throw the change anywhere near the zone, I'm wondering what his approach for lefties is going to be. And um, you know, how, how good he's going to be versus lefties because they're going to stack the lineup of lefties against him, at, at least in the short term. And he's going to see a lot of lefties. And I'm wondering if he can't get the change in the zone, what that's going to mean. He has to really has to make sure that he can swing at it. Yeah. So we definitely, uh, I'm lo- love what I'm seeing out of Lance McCullers so far, but you're right about the change up piece. Obviously going to be instrumental in, in the, part you said about teams they're not gonna be afraid to try to get lefties in there uh he's shown some success so far if he can maintain it then the mccullers could be a stud because right now he's handling all comers lefties and righties they they, they were kind of holding him there in that uh 82 or excuse me 90 to 100 pitch range and then they let him go yesterday and he was super efficient he got a, he got a complete game done in 107 pitches so great breakout outing for him uh for lance mccullers so uh, those are the young guys. Let's keep talking about some of our biggest discrepancies here. Uh, Trevor May, uh, you were not a huge fan of at 121. I had him all the way up at 80. And it's not just in response to yesterday's start, because I think he had a nice one yesterday against against the Red Sox. It's just his skills were there uh, before that. I mean, the, the, the skills have kind of been there all year, uh, portending that it, something better is coming for him. And finally starting to see it turn around. He has a couple of really rotten outings that were holding the ERA down there. He had a 5.07 going into his start yesterday, and he dropped seven scoreless on the Red Sox. But But even prior to that start, Trevor May had, you know, 41 strikeouts in, in uh, 50 innings and uh, and just nine walks, so a 4.6 strikeout to walk ratio. So I love that. Um, you know, he's got a, he's got a deep arsenal uh, of four pitches that he that he can rely on: fastball, slider, curveball, change. Uh, the change is really good. I think I think Trevor May is pretty decent. Uh, not not great at 80, but uh, I was I was surprised that you weren't a little bit higher on him. He just like I don't understand why the changeup is good. It has below average horizontal movement and it has below average vertical drop. It doesn't. It has below average gap between his fastball or maybe average. Uh, it's just it's a weird pitch, and he, he actually releases it from a what looks like to me as like a significantly different spot than the rest of his pitches. So. I, I feel like he's at a risk for tipping it. Um, but in any case, it, you know, it gets good results. It is what you, people talk about when they talk about Trevor Mays, his, his change. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the curve, which is his big, um, step forward this year because the slider's no good. Yeah. And, sli- and, slider's and, least used, um, at, at, at like six, seven percent. You know, six percent whiffs this year and thirteen percent, um, career, uh, thirteen percent is average. So it just doesn't, 
looked like a great pitch, and he doesn't seem to trust it. The curve was a big step forward for him this year. And the curve looks close to average, 8% whips, 30% ground balls. It's not that good. So he hasn't found a good breaker for me yet. And, um, you know, pair that with the rest of season projections on our site. Um, I didn't really see a need to, to, to go out on a limb for him necessarily. Um, but he's in a nice, in a nice park to helpfully, you know, suppress some homers. Um, and, uh, you know, he's had good command in the past. If he can hold the strikeouts minus walks he's got right now, um, he's not too far off from being sustainable, but, you know, sustainable for me is probably like around a four ERA. So I, I'm, I wish I had him in AL labor. I'm not, um, I think your ranking of 80 is okay because that suggests that he's borderline for mixed leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, uh, I was a little bit more uh, skeptical of him. Yeah, he's, de- he's definitely one of those guys, you know, that we're still kind of learning about uh, and, and seeing stuff from him. Former prospect who I think when he was with the, the Phillies, the, there was th- thought that maybe he would end up as a, as a bullpen kind of guy at some point too. So, yeah. you know, he's, he's kind of, evolved and grown at least from that because I think now that he it's clear that he can he can at least start but to what level what we're, we're kind of learning and I think it could be more of that that high threes but then when you're talking high threes to four uh it's just not a huge gap so so even though we do have that that large number gap I mean I have AJ Griffin and yeah I have AJ Griffin and Colby Lewis at 112 113 and you know I could be convinced that you know he belongs more up there so I could get him closer to 100 uh, but, you know, for me, you know, what did you have him, 80? Yeah. Uh, 86? No. Yeah, uh, I had him 80. 71. His, his total was, uh, what was yeah, it? Yeah, 71. May? Oh. Yeah. Why did I put 80 on the, on the rundown? Yeah, I have a 71. Sorry, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't, I just can't push. I mean, up there I have, um, uh, Jaime Garcia, Reynas Elias, Miguel Gonzalez, um, even in the eighties, I've got Hutchinson, Bolsinger. I, I would just take these guys, Heston. I'd take those guys ahead of them. I'm wondering where I even got 80 from, because I'm looking at my own XL and it still says 71. Either way, uh, we, we, we've covered Trevor May here. Let's talk about some individual guys. Uh, just kind of get, get your temperature on them that are kind of causing, you know, some, some questions about different, uh, things in the comments. Strasburg hasn't yet, but I, I'm sure people will ask something about him. He dropped to 25 overall, 33 for me, you 38, and 22 and 21 for Zach and Mike, respectively. Um, what are you thinking about Strasburg right now? Obviously, he's on the disabled list. How long do you suspect he might be out? Do you think this would be a short-term thing and then he gets back? You know, this is kind of a mental break as much as it is to get his uh, neck strain healthy. And... How good can he be when he comes back? I mean, not that 38 or 33, we're saying he's bad, so it's not even, it's not even that, but that's obviously nowhere near elite, and, you know, I had him at three coming into the year, for crying out loud, just ahead of Scherzer. Yeah, uh, I was pretty excited about him this year. Uh, his strikeouts on his walks last year were good, and, um, he's just, I mean, like elite, and he's, uh, he's got the stuff when I watch him, and even this year, I just I, I I've been struggling, and so for me the ranking was like okay, he was hurt, and he is hurt, and it's hard for me to to get really excited about a hurt player. So um, I I did have a hard time uh, deciding where to put him, and 
upside alone, I had him behind Syndergaard because Syndergaard, I love the upside and he's healthy. You know, I had him behind Gio Gonzalez because, you know, Gio Gonzalez is a good pitcher and he's pitching now. Um, so, you know, Andrew Kashner, these guys, I just, I don't know how many weeks it's going to be. I think it might be only three or four and he is, he is started to throw. Um, so maybe it'll only be two weeks, but, uh, even if he comes back, you know, is this one of those things where like, like, let's say a hitter has an oblique issue and he's not playing well and he goes on the DL for an oblique issue and then he comes back off the DL for the oblique issue. Is that oblique issue totally gone? Like it's that's like not, not funny that you mentioned that because uh, that's something I've been talking about in the outfielder ranking comments about kind of forgetting about a player's injury and assuming that because they're back and performing back at a high level that it's gone. And I was doing it in reference to McCutcheon. Uh, at the same time, I was also committing the act of, of doing it by forgetting about Michael Brantley's back issue, which apparently has flared up as well. So I, th- I think you make a great point about that, that sometimes we might get caught thinking once they're back, okay, great, uh, they're, they're back, that I can expect them to be you know, the guy that they're supposed to be, when in actuality it's like a lot of these injuries can still kind of be there ready to crop up at any moment again. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, let me just ask you this. If you had a team, let's just say you had a, a really nice fantasy mixed league team, a 15-teamer, and you had 53 points in hitting but only 22 in pitching, would you trade Donaldson for Felix? Mm. Yeah, I've had some answers. I've had some questions like this. I think I think I would say yes. Because you, might, you might also have in this purely hypothetical, not real situation, you might also have A-Rod, Castellanos, Plouffe, and even Alex uh, Guerrero that you could put at third base. Familiar. So, uh, you know. Familiar one. No, someone just, also asked me, uh, would, would I trade Giancarlo Stanton um, and a piece for Kluber and Scherzer? Oh, God, yes. And I was like, well, that's like, I have Scherzer number one. I was the high man on him. And then I have Kluber three, and we've pretty much all agreed. It's like if I can I get the two best pitchers in the game, or two of the top three pitchers in the game. Uh, yeah. Yes, I give up Stanton, and if if it like makes my team balance correctly, then yes, I'll go out. And yeah, that's the thing too. I I, be, I better power. need pitching. I'm not just gonna. I mean, I would probably just do it no matter. Uh, I, in fact, if I depending on what that piece is, if that piece is another star, oh, okay, then we're, we're we're hammering it out a little bit differently. But if it's just a a capable player on my roster that I have to give toward the back end of my roster for those two, I think I would do it even if I didn't need pitching, just because I could then figure out a way to shuffle that pitching around. Because I I think like what, what you're saying, getting two of the best pitchers in all of baseball, two of the top five. I got I've got them two and three. You mentioned you've got Scherzer, Kluber, one and three. Heck yeah, you do that. Um, but yeah, by I the way, the idea is the same with Donaldson for Felix. It's like I'm getting a I'm getting a healthy guy. I wonder what I'd like to know is what happens to disabled list percentage, like the likelihood of, of being hurt uh, once you make it to opening day. Because we we do a lot of these drafts, um, you know, thinking about the fact that pitchers get hurt more often and they stay hurt longer. But you know, is there some like is there some stickiness to health where like if they've been healthy for a month or two they're much more likely to make it through the season. You know what I mean? Like if they yeah. haven't the DL yet, then they're like then their DL percentage goes down to, you know, twenty percent instead of forty percent. That would change a lot of the um interaction between hitters and pitchers values, you know? I wonder then, then that would make Felix Hernandez 
you'd be getting the fourth best pitcher in baseball with the same DL percentage likelihood as Donaldson, who's not the fourth best hitter in baseball. That's very interesting. I wonder if it would have to apply to certain um, injuries. Like, if you, okay, if you make it to opening day here, you're less likely for an X injury because since some injuries can just happen, I, I don't know, maybe it would be based on the type of injury. I, I, I honestly, yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I lean on Jeff Zimmerman for that kind of stuff when I'm reading. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask, it may not happen right away, but I'm going to ask him this question and be like, you know, how different does – does the landscape look on June one? Like if you do DL percentage going forward from June one, basically, and and DL you know days on the DL for, for mm-hmm. pitchers and hitters, the, how much does it change? Because I feel like you know spring training is a place where more disastrous things happen for pitchers than for hitters. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah no I I I, I agree Rendon, with that. Rendon got hurt, but. You know, I feel like we had a couple of Tommy Johns that didn't make it to the season. Anyway. No, yeah, and uh, and then of course last year when we had like forty in, in spring training. I mean, it was absolutely yeah, exactly. ridiculous. It was so it was so obscene. But by the way, Jason and I did do that deal with Fred Zinke. Uh We gave up Donaldson. Tough to do. He's beasting, beasting so hard, but uh, our pitching just just needed work. And now we have Clayton Kershaw and Felix Hernandez. So. You know, we got Eduardo Rodriguez recently too. We currently have Rubby. Uh, we got Han who just threw a gem today. May, the aforementioned May, I put him in the lineup this week, uh, on the sneak tip there and he, he got that big start for us. So our pitching's coming together and we still love our offense. So hopefully this is the trade that, uh, that really sparks us. But let's get back to talking pitchers here. Now, you know, this one's being talked about a lot right now. I don't know if you've been checking out the comments. You're getting some questions about Mr. Clay Buckholtz. Now, usually, I'm known as the Buckholtz hater because I can't stand him. Uh, and J- Jason and I talk about it all the time. And, and I'm known for it because of, in relation to Jason's love for him. That, that's one of the guys that we just do not see eye to eye on. And yet I was not the low man. Um, I was, I was second lowest, but not, not even close. Uh, you had him at 68, Mike at 40, Zach 42, and I had him 49. I had to hold my nose to get him to 50. I just, I, I don't trust him. I'm nervous. I know, I see the numbers. I understand they're good. They're, they're quality. They're worth wanting, but I, I just, I still get nervous about him. So, uh, that's why I can only get him up to 49. But, but you had him at 68 and, and the natives want to know why is that? Um, you know, the, the easy way out for me is injury risk. I mean, um, 270 innings over the last two seasons, mm-hmm. uh, career high of 189 that he did once. Otherwise, you're lucky to get 170 innings out of him. Um, if you averaged for his whole career how many innings he got per season, it might be under 100. Um, so I think that's the, my easy way out. I'll say that. Um, and then I'll, you know, I, I did write a whole piece about that changeup and it was, you know, basically dedicated to, uh, to Jason. Uh, and even me making sure that he was a mixed league, you know, top 75 pitcher was dedicated to, to Jason because I'm not utterly convinced of it. And I guess it's just like, it's like an old school thing. I don't know, man. Like, have we seen this before, dude? <laughs> I mean, that, 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 you know, that's the like, thing. You can we, do we... it for a little bit, but uh, if you do it for a little bit and you're good for a little bit, then you're going to be hurt. And if you give us a lot of innings, then you're going to be bad. So uh, either way, we're screwed. 
Yeah, I just I remain nervous on him, and and honestly, uh, he f- he found his way up that high uh, because of some of the shakiness that that is involved within his tier, and so he was the lucky one to wind up there at forty nine. But again, it's it's in one of those extendo tiers to where you know I wouldn't really be crazy if someone's like, ah, oh, you got you got. Uh, uh, let me see, let me find somebody. You know, I mean, first off, if Scott Casimir comes back healthy, then no way would I have those two that far apart. I got Casimir at 65 because of the health piece right now. Uh, very easy to flip those two. Even my boy Trevor May at 71, uh, you know, I can listen to a case over uh, of him over Buckholz. That, that's a tougher case because Buckholz has at least had some more record. But uh, I, I understand your skepticism. Uh, I thought I thought I shared it more when I had him down at 49. I thought folks were going to be much higher on him, closer to Jason. But uh, I basically follow in your footsteps there when I say it was a bit of an homage to Jason, saying, you know what, I'll give him a few extra spots than I normally would because uh, I trust Jason, and Jason seems to think that this guy is good. So uh, maybe I'll I mean, get there. The strikeouts walks are there. The, the, it's great. The pitch, there's a change. It, it's not, uh, it's not any of that for me. It's, it, it's, it's, it's the mental piece that when things yeah. go sideways – it really gets, you know, it seems, I guess I should say it seems to, I'm not, this is going off a of perception, but it seems to really affect him and cause these implosions that uh, the ERA can barely recover from. That's why he's got a 382 right now because of he's, he's already had some of those implosions in this season. So, um, and then, you know, then the injury piece is undeniable. I mean, it's exactly. It's always injured. If I, if I like, you know, because of this conversation or because of looking at it or just wanted to push him, push him, push him, I could get him right around where you've got him, 48. I, I, I don't even think I could get him that far because I have Jesse Hahn at 54, Scott Casimir at 53, Jose Quintana at 52, Ventura 51. I can't push him past that block. Speaking of um, an homage to, to somebody, you know, respecting their opinion on a guy to make it boost you up, boost him up a little bit for you, uh, I did that with Jesse Hahn uh, in homage to you, sir. Yeah. has me. Yeah, you know, still pretty tightly clustered. I mean, the high was sixty, the low was forty-seven, the high was sixty-six. So yeah, and you and I, two spots apart there. So we basically had the same there. Um, just you know, I, I was a little. I was. I will admit, I, I let the small sample throw me a little bit earlier this year. I'm like, wait a minute, where did the strikeouts go? Where's that curveball? And I was, I was, I was a little bit worried about him for sure. But well, you know, it's really kind of. It's worth you know. wearing a little bit. I do think that some of it has come from just throwing the curveball less because he's throwing the change more. So that's yeah, just that's like a zero, it's a zero sum game. If, you know, if if one pitch gets fewer strikeouts, then that's how it goes. But um, you know, he did tell me that he thought that the strikeouts were going to come back, and today he had five and seven. That's you know going to push his strikeout rate thing. up a little bit. And it, the weird thing was that I thought it was going to come from you know throwing the curve more, but. Uh, Today he threw the slider second most that he's thrown this year, and he got some whiffs on it. Maybe he's um, learning from Sonny Gray. Yeah, and it, and it surprised people. So, you know, now we're talking about a guy who's going to have you know, a, a mess slider, a, a plus curve, um, and an average. I would say I, I'm going to give him average slider, average changeup, plus curve. Uh, good. Uh, I would say a sinker that he has really good command of, really good movement. Uh, doesn't have plus velocity, so above average sinker. I mean, that's that's a good pitcher, man. That's, it is, that's it, it is, and and honestly, um, when you're looking at his strikeout numbers uh, for Jesse Hahn, 
it's it's really influenced by his start. I mean, his first three, he had three, two, and zero. So he had okay. five through three starts, and then he had six right in his fourth start, kind of showing you like, okay, I do know how to strike guys out. And prior to today's start, he um, uh, since that zero strikeout outing, he was rocking a 19% over his last seven. Uh, that'll go up from today's outing against Detroit, where he just really looked sharp and so you know honestly if i'd been doing my rankings right through that game i might have bumped him even higher because it was really impressive to watch him uh, cut, cut the tigers up so just the first on, two games of the season were among you know you use the change up among the most of the of the season so i would definitely have a uh, a green arrow next to him uh for sure um, jesse Hahn is someone that really wheels are turning and i'm getting back on that train for sure uh, I liked him coming in the season, got deterred, fell off the back of the train a little bit. Now I'm chasing it in the back, trying to catch up. Guys, let me, let me back on the train. Okay, I'm, I'm an idiot. Let's keep talking about, uh, oh, Drew Smiley. Another, another one that's drawn some questions because you were, you were super high, relatively speaking. You only had him at 85, not, not the end of the world here. You're not saying go get him in every league. Uh, but, but, 109 for Zach, 142 for me, and Mike didn't even rank him. Um, I guess, and, and the, the question was, do you know something that, that the others don't with regards to his health? Uh, so they were kind of wondering about that. Uh, I guess you expect I, him to come back and at least pitch. Yeah, and it was kind of like a practical question mark for me because um, right around there I also had like Henderson Alvarez, um, you know, uh, Let's see here, Henderson Alvarez, and was there another injured pitcher? I mean, in the 80s for me, just to, to know where he's being ranked, Nathan Ivaldi, Ubaldo uh, Jimenez, Wei-Yin Chen, uh, Taiwan Walker, um, you know, that's a lot of the guys who I was he was up against. And mm-hmm. for a lot of those guys, you know, Taiwan Walker, Command, Nathan Ivaldi at this point, he adds a good splitter and his numbers are exactly the same. Um, so that's, that's weird to me. Ubaldo Jimenez, you know, changes, but is, you know, still Ubaldo Jimenez. So how uh, was I the high guy on Ubaldo? (laughs) I hate Ubaldo Jimenez. And I was the freaking high guy by a pretty substantial amount. 70. And then 89, 91, 92. So all three of you basically agreed. And then I'm sitting over there like a, like an idiot. <laughs> well, God. For, me, like, uh, for me, the the mid '80s were basically uh, a place where I was looking. Which of these guys could become mixed league relevant? Which of these guys, sure, you know, is on his way to being mixed league relevant, or will be mixed league relevant the rest of this year? Um, and you know, when I put him up against Dan Heron, it's like, well. You know, Dan Herring could end up on the on the DL. He's got one foot in retirement. Um, I don't really want to play him away from home. He's very uh, just like I guess usable, but not not exciting. You know, that's that's one type that I was looking at. Then sure. there's Henson Alvarez, who's hurt, but whose upside is worse than Smiley's because he's just not going to have the strikeouts. Yeah. And then you have the guys who supposedly had upside going into the season, like Tylen Walker and Nathan Evaldi, who just haven't done enough. To show to make, it, yeah, to, you know, to make, make me feel good. In it. Yeah. So that's why that's why Smiley showed up there because it's like I wanted to say basically with that ranking, he's worth holding on the DL if you can. Okay. You know, I that's fair. Seventy-seven because he's going to come back before Smiley. Okay. Uh, but you know, those are guys that are right around the eighties where I'm like, no, you know, don't forget about this guy. 
I'm not, I don't, I don't have any inside info. I don't, I think it's, um, I think, I, you know, actually with the shoulder, I think it's better to not have surgery. Um, with the elbow, I think that the outcomes are so good. You, you, you have the surgery, but I think with the but shoulder, so touching, uh, touch and the, go. The, yeah, those, those surgeries are no good. So I think, um, if he can, if he can get by without, without the surgery, then I think, um, then hopefully, I, I doubt that they're going to let him run out there and, and, you know, hurt himself more. Um, so it's going to be, we're going to learn a lot more, you know, as the rehab goes on. But yeah, and I wanted that, to say he's, he's, he's got the, he's got the, the talent to, to be a guy you hold on to as long as you can. My ranking was entirely based on on just the the cloudiness of of not knowing when he'll pitch. So I, I punted. I'm not even gonna lie. I just basically punted at 143. And when we get a diagnosis or we see him coming back, you know, we get something that says he's coming back here or, or he's on a rehab, and then we we know. And maybe that's you know around the time that we're doing mid season rankings. Then I'll more appropriately give him some attention. But right now, I just kind of said. I don't really know right now. It's too big of a risk for me. Uh, one thing I will say about Ubaldo, and we're going to move on. We're not going to dive in here because, uh, like I said, I was the highest guy, which I thought was crazy. We've never seen a walk rate like this, um, and it is being paired with with a return to the 50% ground ball rate. So, you know, there, those two are – there's at least changes with, with, with Ubaldo, but uh, I still couldn't believe I was the high guy. I did not expect that. I, I guess I would have thought you guys would have had him in the 50 to 60s range um, with me at 70, but – I guess not. I'm, 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 I love Ubaldo apparently now. Uh, let's talk about, uh, a couple of my biggest movers. And I want to get your take on them, uh, for my preseason ranking. I, I had Sonny Gray jump up fifth, uh, excuse me, 25 spots, not 15, 25 spots to 11. And that's basically me saying, had it wrong and I'm, I'm, I'm bought in on, on what he can do with the strikeouts now. Um, and, you know, it's not, it's not all the way back up to that 26% that we saw back in 2013, but it's at 23% up from 20% last year for Sonny Gray. And I think he can be in the 23 to 25% range with this slider and the curveball combo. The slider wasn't this, this plus beast, uh, I didn't think, uh, was some, some overwhelming strikeout pitch. And it's kind of developed into that. And it still has the great curveball. Like a lot of what Sonny Gray does, it still has that excellent ground ball rate. I always thought the ratios could be there. That was a great pitcher. I just didn't think he was a fantasy ace because I thought he was going to live in like the, the, maybe even as low as six and a half strikeouts, but kind of like that seven and a half range. And instead he's, he's much higher these days and pitching much better. What do you think of Sonny Gray? Yeah, you know, I, I can't believe that he picked up a slider and it's got the best whiff rate in uh, in baseball among starters. So it's insane. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not too sad. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel like I need to do a constitutional about you know and look at the way I rank players and really think about things differently just because I, you know, I wasn't as into Sonny Gray going into the season just because. Last year he had a, you know, sort of a lackluster strikeout minus walk rate, almost a, almost league average. And uh, yeah, he does pair that with good ground balls, and he's in a good park, so he's still a good pitcher. And I always thought he was a good pitcher, but he like literally changed something about his game and is better this year. So, um, you know, I don't think he, you know, no, nobody thinks a 165 sustainable, but I'll take the, uh, I'll take better numbers than he's projected for the rest of the way, and, um, uh. You know, I, I don't think it's something we need to apologize for. It's, it, there's some skills changed there, and he's done exactly. well. Exactly. That does, doesn't part of that annoy you though, because it's like we, we kind of weren't wrong with the with the assessment, but when you just if you look back at it, people will be like, "Oh, you were wrong about him." 
but the assessment was with the skills that he has. If, if, if did, did anybody know that he was going to develop this slider? Because I certainly didn't see anybody that that saw him as a top twenty guy writing about a, a, a developed slider that was going. What's to, funny is, you know, I'm in that clubhouse and I know he's trying to develop a slider. Like I know he is, but I never really saw it in the numbers and in our conversations, and he never really kind of got across to me that he thought he'd found something and yeah you know, he he's not really in love with me anyway so it's not like <laughs> we have like a great uh you know you rep- rep- rapport or anything but like you know I'm checking in with him and tasking him about his slider and he's like yeah whatever it feels okay so like I, I didn't you know I'm right there I know he's working on a slider I also know he's working on a change the change looks like crap still looks like crap so um you know sometimes people figure these things out also, the thing that's interesting is that, like, this is just a, a look at how difficult this stuff is. I was talking to Jesse Hahn, and, and I was talking to him, and I was like, well, when you were drafted, you were a fastball slider guy coming out of high school, but you threw the slider away because you thought it hurt your elbow, and that's what led to Tommy John. So now you're kind of fastball curve with this changeup that's new, and you're not really the same pitcher that you were in high school. So who did they draft? You know, what did they draft? What did they see in you? And, and, and I said, your, your buddy, uh, I don't know how close you were with Jake Odorizzi over there, but, um, because I don't know what your timing was, but Odorizzi was a fastball slider guy in the minors, and now he's a fastball splitter guy, and, you know, he was more like two seam slider, and now he's a four seam, uh, splitter guy. He's nothing like the guy he was. What, what, who drafted, what pitcher did they draft when they drafted Jake Odorizzi, and what pitcher did, did the Rays trade for, and how much do they know he could be, and what do you look for when you trade for when you when you trade or draft for a pitcher? Because you know you guys change so often. He said, "Man, I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> not my not not my job to figure that out. Speaking yeah. of Odorizzi, I might have I might have sold him short. I had him at forty three, and I mentioned in the comments that you know he could range as high um, you know as as thirty thirty two. Uh, Based on the on the on the tier there, but even that still would have had me pretty low compared to the others. Zach had him at 21. Uh, Mike had him at 39. But then you had him at 25. So you know we. Uh, I've been impressed with him for sure. I, I I don't want that ranking to look like I'm down on Jake Odorizzi at all. It's just it just kind of where the numbers fell on him. It's just it was one of those. It wasn't taking a stand to say no no no. Let's bring him down a peg and 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 bump his his overall down to 30. I, I think Jake Odorizzi is perfectly fine, but I want to talk about his teammate uh, because he was another one of my big movers. Thirty-one spots up from uh, from the preseason ranks to 14th for me, and you were actually the high guy on him. So um, 14 for me, 14 for Zach, 16 for Mike, 12 for you. Again, that's pretty much coming to an accord um, when you really break it down. But you were the high guy. Obviously, you got to be loving what we're seeing out of him with these devastating numbers lately from Chris Archer. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, sometimes the way out of uh, of a, a platoon issue or a bad changeup is just to throw your slider more. And and, um, and and if you've got good enough command, you can back foot it and back door it and uh, and find a way out. And he's got velocity that's going to help him from from being a um, uh, you know he's gonna ha- he's gonna have a good fastball he can blow by uh, you know the lefties and stuff. So I think that. Um, it's a good approach for the short term. And I do think, I do reserve some, um, worry from, you know, the 40% threshold for, for sliders is, is not one that's crossed very often. Mm-hmm. And even if you look at Colin McHugh, I think Colin McHugh calls his slider a cutter. Um, 
So I, I don't think there's almost anybody who throws as many sliders as Chris Archer. Ah, Tyson Ross. Tyson Ross. Guy. And, of course, Tyson Ross I'm more, more worried about than Chris Archer just because he's got uh, horrid mechanics. Exactly. Uh, Madison Bumgarner probably does, too. Um, uh, he calls his a cutter. Not that it necessarily matters, but sure. you know, maybe it does. But all all classification systems call it a slider. So, uh, but yeah, e- e- either way, that that is the the one area of concern with with Archer at thirty eight percent right now with the slider. But everything else looks so great that listen, pitchers are a risk. I get it. I, I'm going to take the elite talent right now. I'm not going to sit here and worry about the fact that he might get hurt at this level. So and I whatever. Him, I had him like three ahead of Jake Arrieta, who's who's thirty eight percent slider. So. I mean, yeah, guys get hurt. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not going to be deterred from like trading for him or anything like that. I, I love Chris Archer. I love I might, the, I might the way he everything. I might be deterred from trading for a guy like that in a, I mean, uh, in a I'm dice, not going to lie. In a keeper league. A- any guy at that level, uh, I'm not running out to trade for because they're pitching at a 201 ERA and a point nine sixty. How am I going to get <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna have to pay through the so so. Let me let me clear that up anyway. But but in terms of like the the risk, if you, if you're just overwhelmingly afraid that he's gonna blow up more than than some other guy, I wouldn't put that on Archer. But well, you need pitching, and you want to go get him and get some get an ace level kind of kind of guy right now. Then yeah, you you can go trade for him. Don't 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 let the uh, sliders alone deter you. What were you gonna say? So here are three uh three acquirable guys that are all young and might be interesting acquisitions for your dynasty team and could be considered by lows to a certain extent, depending on the type of people who are in your league. And they go one, two, three in the rankings. Tyson Ross, Michael Waka, and Danny Salazar. So Tyson Ross has the terrible mechanics and the slider usage. Danny Salazar has TJ on his books. Michael Waka has the shoulder impingement or whatever that thing was. And the low K rates, but he's uh, fastball change. Waka has the best command. Salazar might have the best uh, Raw stuff. arsenal in terms of all the way through, uh, you know, how and, wide, as deep as arsenal is. Yeah, and uh, Ross has the best single pitch, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, which one of these do you acquire in your dynasty? I would buy Waka personally because I think the Ks are in there. Uh, this is something yeah. that that he can unlock. This is this, it's part of his game, and it might not even come this year. But uh, but as it is right now with the four pitch arsenal that he has, if he keeps you know pitching the way he is, I'm I'm going to continue to believe that the K's are in there. This is not somebody uh, who doesn't have the stuff to to do it. He he needs to kind of figure out what you know, for lack of a better term, kind of the art of pitching to get it done. So a lot of it is on him because right now he's earning the strikeout rate that he has. This isn't a guy who uh Waka isn't toting some some twelve percent swinging strike rate or anything, but for his career he's at ten percent. We've seen it in the past too, so it's easy for me, at least in my opinion, to believe that the strikeouts can still come back. I just love everything that he's got going. Um, he's, you know, he's making it work, even though the strikeouts aren't there right now with an improved ground ball rate. Uh, the results have been fantastic for Waka. I would still buy him because I think that missing piece could come, and then all of a sudden you're looking at uh, a fantasy ace level pitcher because strikeouts are the only thing missing from that profile right now. Which of the three would you take? Uh, I think definitely not Tyson Ross. I was going to uh, say uh, we can pretty much eliminate Ross and. It's it's entirely related to the mechanics piece that you mentioned that that put him at risk 
uh, injury wise along with the eight million sliders. I mean, he just, he's got an injury, uh, tra- track record that's terrible. Uh, it, that, that's an easy one, but I'm, I'm fine, you know, acquiring him for a redraft league right now because his numbers are a little bit higher. Uh, it might have some people a little bit worried because the walks are way back up. I'd go get him as a buy low right now, uh, for Tyson Ross, but in a, in a redraft, uh, in a dynasty league where you're keeping guys forever, I wouldn't want to be trading assets. Certainly not like a Salazar or a Waka in, in, in return to get Ross. Yeah. So I, I, the Salazar walk is interesting. Salazar has the K's. Um, and Salazar has had surgery and Waka had the little shoulder, uh, episode. But, um, mm-hmm. in general, from the research that I've seen, Waka has the healthiest arsenal because the changeup, um, is, is the healthiest pitch and, uh, good command guys, um, have, have had the healthiest outcome. So I, I, I like that. I like he's in the NL. Uh, like his home park. I think I might go Waka too. And the one last thing that's kind of interesting about the K's is that, um, the, uh, changeups had the, I looked at the correlation between swing strike rate on your tip, on your pitch type and, um, the overall, your overall swing strike rate. So basically how important was that one pitch to your overall swing strike rate? Mm-hmm. And of course, a lot of it came down to like how often the pitch was thrown. Uh, duh. Uh, but, uh, there were differences and change up, the changeup had the least correlation to overall swing strike rate. So in essence, you know, changeups are, are used about as often for ground balls as they are for change, uh, for swing strikes. You know, they're, and actually they're a little bit more used for ground balls than they are for swing strikes. If you think about like a slider, slider is not really used for ground balls at all. So, um, it is interesting that a guy like a Jared Parker or a Michael Walker that's that's change up first might often have better swinging strike rates than they have strikeout rates mm-hmm. um, because they they feature a pitch that they can use you know for a ground ball or for a whiff and not won't necessarily always get a whiff on it. Whereas a guy like Tyson Ross, his you know only has the slider. He's going to get whiffs. He's going to be about whiffs. He's going to be always about the whiffs. He's going to have better strikeout rates, and strikeouts are a roto category. So that's the only little asterisk I have on Waka. Salazar, you know, doesn't really have that problem because he he uses his changeup for whiffs, and he has a decent breaking ball. So, um, you know, that that makes Salazar closer to Waka. But I think that was an interesting, uh, you know, sort of mental. Yeah, uh, three different profiles there to look at, and especially when you're talking long term. Uh, different different elements come into the picture there, but even even short term, I think they're an interesting trio to look at. The last guy I want to talk about as a big mover for mine was a, a plus forty four ranking for Dallas Keuchel, and honestly, I I got him up to sixteen, uh, but when I had him at sixty, that that was me believing in him to be honest. You know, that, that was that was still a pretty high ranking in the preseason uh, because you know this was a guy speaking of no K's. You know, last year he had a great season, but the uh, not no case. It, it, we're talking relative here because an 18% rate, it, it's not that bad. It's 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 okay. Yeah, I mean, that, it's actually I think falling below average now, which is kind of hilarious to think. Um, you know, because it wasn't that was certainly wasn't the case like five years ago. But uh, that was the thing that was holding Keiko back. But he, he he's just been. Every bit as good as he was last year. Obviously, even a couple ticks more with a 176 ERA, 0.91 WHIP. Strikeouts are up to 19.3%. Um, you know, 
he's they're just not going to be a big part of his game, but that doesn't mean he can't get them. Again, the, the, he doesn't lack the stuff necessarily to to get swings and misses. I just don't think it's it's the way he that Keiko approaches things because we we've seen big K games from him. He had 11 in his in his complete game recently. So I got him all the way up to 16. I was pretty pretty happy. You know, uh, I, I thought I th- comfortable with that mark. 18 for Zach. 29 for, for Mike, and, and Mike's notoriously a bit of a slow mover when it comes to kind of the in-season rankings. He's not going to make a big move on guys um, even after two months, and that's that's something that stands out to people a lot. They comment a lot about it. And then you've got him at 19. So the three of us basically came to a similar accord on Keuchel. Uh, you definitely see him as a, as a pretty high-quality asset, even even without a gaudy strikeout rate, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, and he's a change-up guy first, you know, so there's another guy who, you know, might sometimes have more swing strikes than it, it looks like, you know, tempting to say maybe he'll have more strikeouts, but he, he's about getting that ground ball first, and I think at some point he, I saw that he led the league in ground balls, I'm not sure if it's still yep. true. But, um, so, you know, I, at some point those guys, uh, the Sierra research, uh, the research behind Sierra said that they should actually have, uh, better, um, they should actually have better uh, BABIPs than than com- comparable players because uh, for whatever reason that once you get past a certain threshold your your BABIP starts to go down. Uh, so as much as we might want to like regress to different parts of of Keuchel's game, you know the 220 BABIP, you don't necessarily want to regress it to the 310 that that the projection systems do. Um, look at look at his Sierra number is 307. I think that's a, a good place to to look for uh, where ERA, you might absolutely towards, agree there. You know, like a 310 kind of ERA going forward because he's going to keep his 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 players on their feet. They're going to know ground balls coming. Everybody on that infield is going to say is going to be like on their toes, being like this ball is going to come to me. And um, I think that uh, you know, if you look at his home runs for fly ball rate, you know, it's, he's managed to throw the sinker a lot and not fall into the trap that some sinker ballers get, where they have a inflated uh, home runs for fly ball rate. And yeah, you can see with a good changeup, has a good swing strike rate, but not a great strikeout rate. But it's a, it's a representative strikeout rate. It's enough. Exactly. It, it's it's enough. not Henderson it's not Alvarez pretty. here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um, so yeah, I, I like Keiko. I definitely think that uh, he's someone that folks can, can trust. Just uh, you know, he's not he's not your huge K guy, but it's kind of like a Jordan Zimmerman of an a, of the AL sort of thing um, with regards to what Zimmerman was or, or, or still is really outside of last year when his strikeout rate took a big spike. He didn't do the same thing with the big ground ball rate, but in terms of the great ratios and then kind of that middling strikeout rate, but everything else is so good that you just kind of. Uh, you can ignore it because it, he does enough to make up for it. So I, I love I love Keiko. Uh, I'm I'm on board there. Um, I could for whatever reason on my main spreadsheet I didn't have your preseason rankings. Did you have, offhand have a couple of guys that were big movers for you um, with these updated rankings? I think we talked about a lot of them. Okay. Uh, you know when we talked about you know Rubby um, and. Um, we, you know, we talked about Archer. These guys, and a lot of the youngsters uh, too. I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Obviously, the three guard came out of nowhere. You know, on my yeah. rankings and McCullers, I, Erod. I, I wasn't shouldn't. sure where those guys, how many innings those guys were. And once we get a better sense of how many innings they're going to have, they go up. Um, you know, I, I stood pat um, on my rankings with uh, where some other guys uh, went up and down, either to meet me or to leave me, but. Uh, you know, beginning of the season, I, st- I love Jesse Hahn, Chase Anderson, Anthony Discafani. I still, I'm still there. 
on those guys. I was the high guy on Discofani. I still think that the command is going to come back because he's shown his command for all his career. And the one thing I wanted him to do was stop giving up homers, and he's done that. So, um, you know, that, that's one thing I wanted to get in there. And the last thing I wanted to say, I, I was the high man, I think, on Kyle Hendricks. That's funny. I was just about to bring him up because you were. You and I, uh, it, it was interesting, actually. It was a, a nice little stair step, 57, 68, 78, and then the stairs uh, eroded because uh, Zach didn't rank him. That 68 was mine. That 78 was Mike's, um, and you had him at 57. So, yeah, talk to us about Kyle Hendricks because I'm – I've become more intrigued by him. I thought he was actually uh, kind of destined to be one of those low K guys to where it's kind of obscenely low. Um, but I now I'm starting to believe that maybe he can live in that, uh, you know, 18 to 20% range, which I can deal with if you're going to give me quality ratios. His whip's been fantastic this year. Uh, Kyle Hendricks has a little bit of a high ERA at 399, but a, a spike in ground ball rate. Some intriguing aspects. What, do you, what are you noticing here that has you, has you uh, intrigued? Uh, well, you know, one thing, he's, he's a change-up guy to the point where he can kind of sometimes cut his change-up and he, he, he plays around the change-up. So he's, I believe that ground ball rate. Um, he's always had the good command, so that's a really nice thing. And what's weird is his swing strike rate has gone down, but his strikeout rate has gone up. And, you know, right now he has some potential to be sort of Keikelian. I, I was going Keiko. to say that, uh, uh, I mean, but I couldn't got, come up with the word either. Yeah, he's he's sort of searching for that breaking ball. I mean, he's 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 got a plus changeup, plus command, uh, good sinker, um, and you know he's searching for that breaking ball that's going to help him. And I'm seeing some evidence in it in this curveball that he's using, the cutter. There there being enough right now, and there definitely enough for me to put him at the back end of a rotation, uh, mixed league rotation. I think he's right there. And if you look, if you slice his his curveball into just the usage against righties, it looks a lot better. He gets 12% whiffs against righties. So against righties, he now has this change that gets 21% whiffs, a curve that gets 12% whiffs, and a sinker that gets like 60% ground balls. Let me tell you this about Kyle Hendricks. He's got a 38% called strike rate. Guess who he's smushed right in between um, with, with a similar, but if you if you if you uh, push it out one decimal, that he's one below and one ahead. Uh, uh, just above him, Max Scherzer. Just below him, Michael Pineda. Wow. Nice company to keep. Yeah, I mean that's that's good command and uh, and yeah, command will get you some strikeouts. You know, if you can if you can keep it up. I, we've talked about how we'd rather have you know sort of swing strike stuff on a year to year basis, but within a year and with a young pitcher like this, you know, who's who's kind of finding his way with his breaking ball. Um, and look at his look at his rest of season projections. This is the rest of season projections have nothing to do with what I'm talking about. The rest of season projections just look at his numbers and they say three six ERA one two three WHIP. Uh, that's useful. I mean, that's absolutely. That's, it's kind of in that groove where I'm nervous about starting them every time. So it's kind sure. of like where you know, oh crap, um, they're in Wrigley. It's a day game, and um, and uh, it looks like it's warm, right? Pi- Pirates are in or something. I mean, because Pirates have been great lately. So yeah, but also just like you know, the the the, the Wrigley's so different in the day. So it's like yeah. oh, you know, winds blowing out, whatever. At sit him, but. Uh, you know, night game at Wrigley, or you know, he's in he's in travel Pittsburgh. Travel to Miami, you know? which he yeah, travel to Miami. There's a lot of times where, and travel I think he's San Diego, like, yeah, play, um, a lot of times. You know, uh, righty changeups are a little bit rare, um, but um, you know, guys who are cha- righties who are changeup first are a little bit rarer than um, you know being breaking ball first. But uh, 
you know, James Shields, when, once he found the knuckle curve, um, you know, really had the whole arsenal that he needed. And, um, you know, things don't necessarily turn right, you know, don't, they don't necessarily, people don't come into the league, you know, necessarily exactly how they're going to be. So I think we're seeing uh, that a lot more too, because guys are coming in younger, a little bit more raw and, and, and kind of developing in front yeah. of us as opposed to doing it, uh, you know, kind of behind the, the curtain that is minor league baseball. Cause obviously you're not watching that every single day, uh, in a lot of instances. Obviously some people, uh, definitely do. But by the way, what, what, what obviously makes Hendricks different from those two guys that he's surrounded by in the called strike area is that Scherzer and Pineda combine that with devastating swinging strike rates of 16 for Scherzer and 13% for, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, for Pineda. So, you know that that's 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 the difference there. If, if Hendricks can get his to ten percent, even that'd be fantastic. Uh, because then with the called strikes, with that command, so, something nice could be there. So that, that's a good one to end on. We'll go ahead and end there. We went went nice and long talking about starting pitchers as we love to do. You get those <laughs> rankings on the website. Big surprise. <laughs> I mean, yeah, huge, huge, huge surprise. Obviously, I knew the rundown would be massive today. We got 164 pitchers that at least got ranked once. So you can go see that uh, Odrisimir Despagne is the is the very last guy there. I gave him a cursory uh, rank there. He was my 150th guy. Nobody else ranked him. I just feel like at home he could be come back, come back to that 2014 guy where we saw where he's actually pretty good at home. But, uh, you know, it's the, it's the 150th guy. It doesn't really mean anything at all. Anyway, you know, got a long, long, uh, break coming up here. We'll be back on Tuesday. Uh, take care until then. All right. Thanks. <laughs>